everybody watches porn, but nobody wants to talk about porn. Whoa. Except for Tim Tebow. Welcome to episode 10. Wow, we're in we're in double digits now, but wel- welcome to episode 10 of the Legends Podcast. I have one half of the Legends Podcast, Ari Levy, here with my co-host, Sam Manheimer. And we have quite a amazing interview today with Arielle Kaplan. She's a, a sex influencer, podcaster, journalist, and a friend from college. And this is an interview you really don't want to miss. Yeah, I would echo what Ari just said. She's really one of a kind, but she's really been able to capitalize on what makes her unique. And she's had a lot of success. She runs a verified Instagram account called Orgasmic that posts some really funny memes. She hosts a podcast called Balls Deep, which is a very professionally run and quite funny podcast. Really good podcast. Yeah, we've both listened and greatly enjoyed it. And we definitely suggest after you listen to this episode, you go check that out, too. She reads from the Torah, but in a very contemporary, or I should say, she interprets the Torah in a very contemporary and funny way. And perhaps one of the more interesting things that she does is she has a devout following on OnlyFans and other platforms like that. And she offers a lot of really good perspective on what that's like. So really excited to get into the interview in a little bit. Yeah, we we talk a little OnlyFans, we talk some porn, really just an interview that's been totally different from everything that we've done before. And we're really excited about it. And we're really excited for you guys to listen to it. So yeah, just truly one of a kind. Yeah. And just an all around awesome person to talk to. So as some of you know, I'm in Arizona right now and I've been blessed with good weather, but it, but it's 45 and raining right now. And I'm thinking about asking for my money back from the Airbnb. And Ari also has just really heinous Wi-Fi right now. Which is yeah, made editing. Wi-Fi's been tough made editing this podcast quite the bear yeah it's like when it's working it's fine but then like i would say probably like every like 30 minutes maybe less it just like gives out for like two minutes and it's been hard to work it's been hard to stream tv and it's been it's been a little annoying i you know for those that follow tim dylan one of my favorite comedians uh, he just went to war with some airbnb owners and he really put him on blast and now he's banned from the platform i'm not going to go down that route but i might have to leave a uh, review but the thing is like the apartment is it's nice like it's fine it's in a really good location but like you know, the back of the door fell off, the Wi-Fi is issues, the handle on the sink fell off as well, which has been really annoying. But I'm not trying to get kicked off Airbnb. You know, we do have a very good friend of ours who I think you could probably employ to write a well-worded review. And you know who I'm talking about, Ari? I do know who you're talking about. That's Mr. Barrett Rosenbaum. So Barrett, if you're listening, maybe uh, reach out to Ari and offer him your services. Yeah, definitely. definitely could be good. But for those that want a good laugh about an Airbnb review, I highly suggest checking out the Tim Dillon show, Airbnb War. Pretty funny stuff. Speaking of wanting your money back, Ari, question. Do you want your money back for the UFC 257 pay-per-view because your boy Conor McGregor took a huge L? So I want my money back because, and I, and I know this happened with a lot of people, and we were checking Twitter, we could not get the fight to stream. And at first we thought it was because of the Wi-Fi here. And we're like, this is fucking bullshit. But we were at, we were checking on Twitter and so many people could not get the fight to stream. So we missed the first fight. But eventually we got it. And yeah, he, he took a couple bad leg kicks and then got his ass beat. And now he's gonna have to fight Jake Paul. Yeah, Jake Paul originally was offering Conor McGregor $50 million to take a fight with him. And then after the loss yesterday, Jake Paul dropped his offer to either $10,000 cash or one Bitcoin. I would take the Bitcoin. Yeah. A little bit more volatility there. If you're McGregor, that's not a bad deal. I I just, I'm just a, I'm a buy and hold type of guy. So if I could get a Bitcoin for free, I'm just going to hold on to it for probably 20 years. Speaking of more passive and less exciting strategies, it is currently Sunday, January 24th, as we're recording this, and politics are boring again. Yeah, they are boring, which is good, and that's kind of how it should be. Things have really calmed down, I think, a bit since Trump got off Twitter, and he's just not spewing out just whatever comes to his mind. Yeah, I think that Trump is a little bit like your dog after you take him to the vet and get him snipped. 
he just doesn't have his fastball anymore. He's not yeah. jumping up on people. He's not ragging on people. He's just sitting off in the corner with a little cone around his neck. And he's just sitting with a cone on his head, looking at you, just waiting for you to do something. But and you know, he thinks maybe oh my balls are coming back, but they're not coming back. Yeah, I don't know if t- that Twitter handle's ever <laughs> ever coming back. It's not. I think he's permanently banned. Obviously, things are a little less exciting, and and in my opinion, a little less funny. But things have uh, have definitely calmed down a little bit, and our president is very boring. But that's okay, honestly, with me. I I just like want you to see it in my face every day. I am no media expert, but looking back on how everything went down the past four years, I just think so many of these news networks fed into to Trump, and they just they just kept posting all the bad to just piss people off when they like. In reality, they could have just made a statement that they didn't believe what like a lot of the stuff he was saying and just like covered them less. I know that's hard to do as a president, but they they did feed it. They they, they fed into his games. Yeah. But the Legends podcast did not. We kind of got in late on the Trump game, to be honest, because our first episode was the day Joe Biden won the presidency. So we didn't have as much Trump to talk about. We were we were on the right side of history in covering Donald Trump, though. Let that be known. I do agree with that statement. <laughs> well, we're super excited to bring you this interview. I think you guys are all going to really enjoy it. To any first time listeners, this is a special interview. And yeah. So without further ado, Ariel Kaplan. And now we welcome on very special guest, friend of ours from college a sex influencer slash journalist slash podcast host, podcast host, Oigavolt, Ariel Kaplan. Ariel, welcome to the Legends Podcast. Woo, so happy to be here. Thrilled. Thank you so much, you guys. Is now when I do my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, please introduce yourself yeah. to the listeners. Okay, hello, everybody. I am Ariel Kaplan. I am a podcast host, as Sam said, for Balls Deep. It's a Balesa sex podcast. And I also write for Alma, which is a Jewish millennial culture identity site. And I host a weekly Torah series for that site called And God Was Like. And then I do a bunch of other stuff on the side. And I run Horgasmic, which is a sex memes like alter ego page for myself. Ariel, you've always been a really creative person, and we see that now with everything you got going on. And want to rewind a little bit and, and, and go back to college. It's a very, oh, looking oh, back no. at it now, it's a super <laughs> awkward time for everyone. Kind of wh- where did you draw your inspiration to, to go down this route starting there? Okay. So I went to IU for psychology and I did so badly in my classes because I I guess I just wasn't studying. I don't know what was up. (laughs) But I got when I got into SDTS sorority, I was able to write for the Odyssey, which was our Greek like trash newspaper thing. And that paid, which is why I did it. And then I was like, oh I actually love writing. So when I was a kid I wanted to write. So then I switched my major And then in the Odyssey, to keep it up, it was like kind of easy money, but I mean, it was a lot of work, but I just had to write an article every week. And I kind of started running out of ideas. And so one of the articles that I think really just launched me into this was why women should masturbate. And I wrote that because I took a human sexuality class and then I took an elective where I coded porn. So was watching like so much porn just getting desensitized to it and was like this isn't taboo everyone in my house in the SDT house was like watching it with me so I was like I'll just do this article and I was really scared to put it out but once I did it was just like the first time is the hardest or the worst even I haven't even seen that article in so long so I'm sure it's terrible but after that things just kind of went rolling and then I was in journalism and I made the Kinsey Institute my beat And that's a sex research institute at IU. So through journalism, I just kind of got into sex writing, I guess. Was that something that you always, I guess, had an interest and passion in? Or was it just sort of a topic that you kind of went into for the article and then realized it really resonated with people and then went from there? I know. I guess I always wanted to write and I write about what I'm passionate about. I only do things that I'm really passionate about. I think I've always been kind of a slut. I got a lot of daddy issues. And so like hooking up with boys was 
something I was passionate about and like sexuality. So I was like, why not just write that? And I had, I wrote a lot about, a lot about eight pie boys actually in the Odyssey. So it was just like personal experiences. And that was the easy thing to do when I had to churn something out every week became like comfortable and kind of fun. So I don't think I grew up like when I was a little girl, I was like, I'm gonna write about sex. But just all of the circumstances in my life just kind of led me down. So in college, you you basically went through like, like your sex realization. When you said you were talking, you were writing a lot about A pie boys, like what were you writing about? I can't imagine just like this five, six New York kid bumped into me and called me a bitch <laughs> at a party. <laughs> I, I think the A-Pie boys were generally taller than 5'6". So. <laughs> I, I know. I was just wondering if small Jewish guys, Joe. No, I will say, though, on Hinge, it's been really difficult to find people because I have my setting, like, above 5'7". And when I run out of people, I then get just, like, all the 5'6 kids. And I'm 5'2", so it's – I don't know. It, it shouldn't be bad, but, like, I want them to be taller. Anyway, what was your question again? Oh, what was I writing about? Yeah, I wrote like the Bible for friends with benefits and it was like a list of rules. It was kind of like what I wish that I had had out of that hookup experience. And then the guy that it was about texted me and was like, "Okay, I love number 10. Like, let's do that. But it was something I felt that he wasn't doing. I don't even remember particularly what it, what it was, but they always knew when I was writing about them, even if it was not like a specific scenario, but just kind of general, they just know like, oh, I kind of did that with her. So this is probably me. So you sort of wrote stuff into existence. If you're like hooking up with a guy, you could be like, well, I want him to do X, Y, and Z. So you just write about an article. <laughs> it's like, I wish my guy friend would do this. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, guys don't communicate. And really what I was saying was like, I just wish that they would fucking tell me how they're feeling instead of I'm guessing and they ghost me and stuff. So basically everything I was saying was like, just communicate with me. And they were like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking back at it, like when I look at college, it's a time where at the time you think you're like, I know it all on the shit. And then like you look back at it, you're like, I didn't know shit. And it was super awkward. Wait, okay, I I feel like college for me was like high school for a lot of people where it's so awkward and you feel like a loser or whatever. And I, I say, I'm being like dramatic when I say loser, but t- from my point of view, you guys were like the popular kids. So like to hear that you looking back think it was so awkward, like what do you mean in relationships or like what kind of context? Relationships with girls was like awkward, like looking back at it now. Some of them, not all of them, but also just you're with you like at least we lived with like 60 other guys in one house, like getting like drunk all the time, having girls over. And it was just like it was just like an awkward time. With that being said, at the time, it didn't feel awkward. But now when I look back at it, it was like a little awkward. You guys basically were like a brothel every night, which is kind of (laughs) cool. That's one way to put it. <laughs> I think, I don't know, in college, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think guys just aren't good at communicating in general. I mean, that's something that I think I struggle with and most of my friends probably do too. But in college, it's just amplified because, I mean, at least in our environment, you're around 60 other males who also don't know how to communicate. So then you're like, what should I do in this situation? And then they'll give you advice, but it's not necessarily the best advice. So then we think we're, we're doing the right thing, yeah. <laughs> but you're not. So you guys rush a frat now that you know like looking back how it happened if you could do it over for sure (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about it a lot I think since college I've gotten more perspective about like what a fraternity is and kind of like what the downsides to it are and like obviously it breeds a lot of bad stuff and enables a lot of bad things and like bad behavior so like am I against it more than I was in college for sure But like at the end of the day, it also did provide like a ton of friendships that like last for me to this day. So, I mean, I wish I could go back and and do college over again, knowing what I know now. And like everyone has the perspective of maturity and like what constitutes right and wrong. But just from a friendship perspective, I'm I'm glad that I did it. But I wish I could have done it with more perspective and maturity. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Sam said. That fraternity provided us with such a dense network spanning across all ages, like whether like I've reached out to some guys, especially about the podcast, who I like were a little older than me, 
And like, we weren't that great of friends, but because like he knew who I was just a little, we were in the same fraternity. Like you have that connection and like that will just help you over the long term. But it's definitely a crazy experience being in one. And, but yes, I'd 100% do it all over again. It was so much fun. But knowing what I know now, like I don't think I'd be as susceptible to peer pressure and being like, oh, like I have to party tonight. Otherwise I'm a huge bitch. Like, you know what I mean? I've just been like locked my room, put on my headphones and just like, gone to bed early one night which i never did so <laughs> that's cool to hear you guys enough, enough about up a little what would you say i said we've grown up a little oh. <laughs> i'd like to think so anyway enough about us ariel let's let's go back to college for you for a second so you were in a sorority and you were writing a lot of articles that were a little bit different than what other people were writing i guess what was your kind of the reaction amongst the the girls that you were friends with and the girls that you were seeing every day was that something that they were happy for you about or were they kind of weirded out by it or both I think that in my sorority I always felt like the black sheep I was like you know always the one smoking in the in the parking lot and then at chapter meetings people would like say vague things but it was like always about me and with the articles it just kind of I think people expected it from me and I had like my close friends who whose opinions what I really cared about but I think not even the sex stuff the thing that really was the biggest like ooh what is she doing was when I had this like black spiky backpack and I wrote an article about it and it was like I'm wearing this spiky backpack because like fuck you guys I don't care what you think like I'm different and I'm just gonna march to the beat of my own drummer and the backpack was like like I liked it genuinely at first but then it became super popular among little children and then it was like a weird thing and my friend Julia would always make fun of me for it and I think it was an endearing thing but it like I was so sensitive that I really internalized it and then I was like okay well I'm just gonna hunker down and wear it even more because I don't want to be weak to like myself so I think the thing with like sex writing is that I thought it gave me an edge and made me more interesting it's not why I was doing it but I think that kind of because I thought it was cool and I'm like this makes me look cool so I don't care really what people think and the other big part of it was that I didn't think anybody was reading it. So I don't recall sorority sisters or friends just, I've read your latest thing. This is so good. I was just putting it out there and doing my own thing. This is also with orgasmic. Like I, I do things and I just don't really think anybody's looking. And I think that's what protects me the most. You talked about how you wrote about porn. And the thing about porn is, at least for guys, everybody watches porn but nobody wants to talk about porn. So do you remember at all like what like the perception was like when you started writing about porn? Were people like, oh, that's disgusting? Or were you, did you get, you know, warm perception? I don't really remember the feedback at all, really. But I, I okay, so when I was doing the porn coding, basically what I would do is watch the video and then there was this Excel sheet that had all these questions and I would have to write down how many times a guy slapped a woman. So what it's coding for is what is out there on the internet. And so they did a sample of like everything that's out there. So I saw every first video I watched. I watched it with Sorority Big. And I think that was the first time she ever watched porn. So she ran out of the room crying. And that was like the most negative thing that I can think of or like the response. So definitely in SDT, it was like a shocking thing. But I just don't think anyone was like asking me about it because there were so many girls in the house. Speaking of porn, um, and I was listening to it on your podcast. Very recently, there was some very big porn news. Pornhub, for those that don't know, the largest pornographic site, purged no porn about 11 million videos from their website from non-verified accounts. Would you tell our listeners kind of, you know, what that was about and the significance of it? Yeah, well, first I'll say you can hear a more in-depth coverage of this on Balls Deep. Great name, and by the way. Basically what happened is the New York Times published an opinion piece that was kind of like a report detailing all of the sex trafficking videos that were on Pornhub. So what people can do, or before they could do before the updates, anybody could upload a video to, to Pornhub as though it were YouTube. And then you can also download a video and then re-upload it. So there's a lot of pirating and there's a lot of um, underage 
sex videos being put up and like rape videos, uh, non-consensual sex. So this guy wrote an article um, and this has been like kind of a long time coming. And so when the New York Times posted it, Visa and MasterCard pulled out of Pornhub. So now people can't get paid on it. And Pornhub's update made it so that you can't download videos anymore. And every video, you, you can only upload something if you're a verified user. Um, and before there was like, nobody was checking what was going up. So people were stealing porn and people who were victims of sexual assault, like had to watch their videos online. Like it was just coming up. So these updates are good, but they also really harm sex workers because what they're doing is not actually stopping sex trafficking. They're just making it more difficult for sex workers to do their job. And it doesn't change the fact that there still could be someone being trafficked. Them taking the video down doesn't stop that. Yeah. The biggest problem with the New York Times article was that it was largely supported or sourced. The person who was like backing it up was from this place called Trafficking Hub or something. And it's all based on Christian values and just being anti-porn in general. So all of this good stuff is really being pushed by people who just hate porn and hate sex workers. So that's why they're not getting at the root of the problem. And they're just like, let's just eliminate porn from the internet, which is never going to happen because the internet was made for porn. There's certainly no, I mean, once something's on the internet, it's it's on there forever. So you can take it off of one site and it's still going to be elsewhere. There's no mm-hmm. deleting it. Going back a little bit. So you wrote for the Odyssey in college. You started kind of carving your own path a little bit, it sounds like, between the backpack and, and the articles. So was it at that point in college when you knew that you wanted to make a career out of, I guess, being a sex influencer or, or a journalist, I guess? Like, did, did those paths cross before you, you graduated or was that something you kind of came to down the line? No. So it happened after my first job out of college. So I still wanted to be a journalist and I couldn't get a job that I really liked. I started working at the tab which is essentially what the Odyssey is. Um, do you know what the tab IU is, that Instagram account? I think they followed me or something at one point. Okay, well, the tab IU is like Barstool meets the IDS. And Rachel, my the Ballsy co-host, and I met at the tab and then it folded eight months later. But while I was there, I learned how to build Instagram accounts and monetize them. So Rachel and I were talking about doing a sex podcast and then we were like, let's do um, an Instagram account instead. So after we were laid off, we came up with the name Orgasmic and we were both applying for jobs. We couldn't get one. So she went to business school and then I made Orgasmic on my own and it wasn't supposed to be like an influencer account. I was just breaking down sex research in layman's terms. And so that was like the passion that I had for psychology, reading through research and then the sexuality is just breaking it down. So it was very much just, it looked so different than it is right now. And then I got a fellowship at the Jewish media company, said 70 Faces, and I worked there for two years while still growing orgasmic. And then I quit over the summer. So all of this just happened like, um, I I didn't set out to do any of it, just things fell in place. And the more passionate I got about orgasmic, the more it changed and then put my face on it. And so now I have all these things going on. It's like I've got the Jewish side and the sex side just from like what I was doing to pay the bills. But then my hobby was the sex stuff. Does that make sense? What a what a great combo. The Jewish side and the sex side. Just bring them together. (laughs) Which Brings me to my next point. So something we saw you doing is, is these Torah reads and you're and you're reading the weekly portions of the Torah and you're you're adding a little flavor to it. Would you mind telling the viewers kind of like what that is and, and where they could find it? Yeah. So and God was like is a raunchy Torah series that I do on um it's an IGTV show at hey.alma. And I think it's also on YouTube. And what I do is I read through every Parsha in the Torah and then I write an outline. So I'm not reading like the actual stuff. I just explain it the way that I see the Torah. And it's been really fucking dope. And 
it's so funny because it's really, really raunchy, but all these rabbis and scholars like message me and they're like, this is so much better than what, like what I grew up learning or students. Yeah. Yeah. I connected with my Judaism until now. So it's been really, really dope. If you have rabbis and scholars, you know, reaching out to you saying, Hey, this is better than what I learned. Like you, you, I don't know, like you could be the second coming of the Messiah. You are interpreting the text. Like it has not been interpreted before. I could be my birthday's on Christmas. Whoa. Whoa. But isn't that, isn't that crazy? I do feel like the, the second or the first Messiah. Mashiach. Mashiach, 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 Mashiach. It's, it's kind of like the second coming, but like C-U-M-M-I-N-G. Yes, that's oh. good. That's good. That's free. That's free, Ariel. You can use that however you'd like. That's a good Patreon name. <laughs> that is cool, though, that you, you do the tour interpretation. Because like I remember being a kid sitting through temple and like i would be flipping through the the book and whatnot and reading these stories and like some of them are just wild like you'll flip to a random page and they just go through some incredibly graphic stuff and you're like why aren't we talking about this so it's cool that you're kind of picking through all of it and putting it into like more of like a modern spin i guess or interpreting it however you're going to but then i mean that's super cool that is basically rabbinical yeah yeah okay we've got the gemara the Midrash? No, what's the book? The ten, the ten, okay, I don't remember what each book is called, but I'm pretty sure the Gemara is just the rabbis arguing over what the Torah actually means. And who says that they're the ones who are right? So I'm just going to read the Torah and make up what I think happened. And that's still accurate because all of it is made up, you know? Oh, okay, wait, I have to say one, one thing. You know the burning bush scene, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm reading one of the interpretations and the rabbi says that they think Moses drank ayahuasca and that's why he doesn't think the bush is burning because time was warped in his head. But Moses didn't drink ayahuasca. Moses wasn't real. None of this is real. So how can they say like, oh, the reason why he couldn't see it is because he was actually hallucinating. Like, No. So the one thing I heard, very similar to what you said, though, the burning bush, it was an acacia tree. And that's what you get DMT from. So, like, I think I think Moses was real. I think Jesus Christ was was probably real as well. But the interpretations of like what actually like happened or probably didn't happen. But what they said was with the burning bush, Moses was high on DMT, which is when he got the commandments from God. I think that's how it went. So. He may have like thought he was getting the commandments from God because he was because of the acacia has DMT in it. That makes sense. Yeah, was a Hebrew dude who was tripping, but his name. Yeah, he was just high as fuck and just was like, "This is this is this is how the rest of history is gonna turn out." (laughs) Yeah, one dude's trip just turned into like thousands of years of religious interpretation. So, okay, so you kind of found this interesting cross-section of Judaism and sexuality that definitely seems like something that's untapped just because of, I guess, how religions and, and sexuality traditionally go together. Do you ever feel like they're kind of ever diametrically opposed, or do you think that's kind of just our interpretation of religion? Are you saying, like, because Judaism is, when you think of extreme religion, it's like, sex is not allowed yeah yeah it's like more of a taboo thing like you mentioned like like the christian group was the one trying to get Pornhub to stop stuff obviously judaism and christianity kind of have different takes on it but it's still but but across like pretty much all the major religions like there is a sense of taboo to sex Mm -hmm. and i think in most of the major religions it says you're not supposed to have sex until you're married which most people don't follow except for tim tebow the what what the torah says about sex is actually pretty minimal but what the rabbis say about sex is that you have to be married Mm, but the cool thing is that the men are Jewish or halachically obligated to make sure that their wife is sexually pleased and in Judaism it's really difficult to get a divorce if you're a woman you have to have a real reason and if your guy is not going down on you, you have a right to get a get. <laughs> a get is the divorce paper. Um, so Judaism really stresses consent and pleasure, which is really, really awesome. And they do not like 
It does not praise homosexual sex, but it doesn't say anything about lesbian sex. And I will say that there has been like a comment or two of someone who's been like, you are trashing Judaism. Like the rabbis are all rolling in their graves from what you're saying, but that's okay. Not everyone's going to like it. And I think most Jewish Americans probably have this same viewpoints that us three have they're just like we do stuff for the it seems like we are religious but we're really just celebrating our culture we're doing the traditions and sex is not something that only has to do with marriage as long as you're safe and shit so I think there's the, the extremes on in every religion and like how they treat each other I don't even care to think about but overall like the liberal Jewish view on sex is pretty positive. Yeah. And that was another thing I was going to ask was it's, you said you got a lot of positive feedback from rabbis, but I could imagine like just interpreting like a text that's been around for thousands of years and many people see it as sacred. You did get, you probably got some backlash. Only a few, which is cool, but there definitely has been. Yeah. Like this is sacrilegious. And I'm like, you're sacrilegious. You're not like, this is accessible. This is the best way to get people to be interested in it. Yeah. I mean, that is like kind of like a modern interpretation on religion though. I mean, like we're, we're not in the year 1500 anymore. Like there has to be something a little bit more up to speed with, with the modern culture. And that's really what you're doing, which is awesome. Yeah. And in, in yeah, Judaism, you're, aren't you taught to question everything and like everything is kind of left for interpretation and they have these, you know, Torah studies, but you know, your take is like, Oh, he wasn't eating her out and then he was upset and then he left and then he got high on DMT and then got the Torah from God. (laughs) It's just like a different way of looking at it. It's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) I feel like you guys would be good Torah scholars. You seem pretty knowledgeable. Sorry, I'll see you have um, the interpretations of the Torah going on, but you also have the Horgasmic Instagram account. So at this point, this is your account that you're running. How did you, I guess, monetize that and then turn that into the podcast and kind of the, I guess, network of accounts that you have going now? All right. So I, I told you guys about how Orgasmic started as like I had gotten those tools to grow an account. Um, I guess in the back of my mind, it was like it would be cool to monetize it because that's what I was doing at my old job. But I started out like just with the passion of it. And a lot of people will say, if, you, if you're doing something just to make money, it's not going to be as good, which is why I kind of want to say that I wasn't doing it just for the money. Um, but so what happened was I grew it to like 7K. My page was deleted for, I don't know, someone reported it. And so then I made a podcast called Seven Minutes in Heaven, which was a sex news podcast because I didn't trust Instagram anymore. And eventually I got my, uh, I got orgasmic back and the podcast went on for a year before my partner decided to leave, but it was pretty successful. We did some live shows. And then when it ended, just when like COVID started, my roommate, Rachel and I made Oral History, which is a different podcast. And then I quit my job at 70 Faces and Valesa, which is the the company that I do who, who powers the podcast. So we're like, Balls Deep is in the Balesa network, and we're just the first thing in the network. Um, I auditioned to be the be co-host with Rachel, and we got the gig. And then this has just been like working for the past few months on getting it out. So I got the job because I had been doing something already like it, and the monetization came after putting in a lot of work to the account. And doing other things like the podcast, not putting all my like what balls in one bucket. What is the saying? <laughs> uh, balls in one court. Uh, but my oh, my balls in one court. I like balls in one bucket um, though. So, <laughs> just doing stuff all the time. I'm constantly working, and at first it felt like oh, I have an Instagram Instagram account with 2,000 followers. Why haven't I gotten a job yet? But it just takes a lot of work and you have to prove yourself to people. So that's how I started getting paid. People trusted me. And then I reached out to companies and did all that work on my own. Um, I didn't wait for shit to happen. So it was just like a lot of behind the scenes stuff that 
if I didn't do, if I didn't get kicked off of Instagram, I wouldn't have made the podcast. If I didn't make the podcast, I wouldn't have Balls Deep today. So when you went to Balesa initially, were you, I guess, reincarnating the oral history podcast or was it kind of a completely different production at that point? And were they the ones kind of driving what you would be discussing or do you still have a lot of creative freedom? So I had actually applied for this podcast before I created the seven minutes in heaven one. So that's what this is kind of based off. Oral history is a podcast about seductresses where Rachel and I basically like every other week did a book report on a slutty woman in history. And by slutty woman, I mean just like a woman who had Mm -hmm. sex. And so we pitched something that we just made it up on our own. And it was kind of like an NPR style um, deep dive into the history of sex toys. So it was really, there there was banter, but it was way more scripted than we've ever done. And so we submitted it. Um, We were chosen as the hosts, but what our show is now is completely different than it was. And we pretty much do have creative control over everything, which is awesome. And what I love about my producer is that she's like, you don't have to plug Valesa like I feel like I got nervous at first and was trying to talk up Valesa so much and she was like no like this is your podcast like it is your show you do whatever you want and that has been really really encouraging and just the fact that she wanted us to be on and even though we're doing a different show than what we had originally pitched like it was really just that she liked the chemistry that I have with Rachel so Rachel and I just figure out like the questions that we're going to ask our guests but then the rest is just banter. I, I was in what struck me the most, I think, of, of anything in the podcast. It was super well put together. I mean, the production quality is amazing. But you and Rachel just have such a good chemistry together. Like, I, you guys sound a little bit alike. And, like, you guys would just be talking, like, <laughs> rapid fire back and forth to the point where I was like, I don't even know, like, if it's Rachel or Ariel who's talking around. But, like, I don't care. You guys both bring, like, so much energy. And, like, it's so obvious that you guys are having a lot of fun. Like, I think I, to me as a listener, like, that was, like, what struck me the most like I and I was reading through some of the reviews on Apple Podcasts too and I, a lot of people reiterate this it feels like you're just like sitting in a room with you two just hanging out and you guys are just shooting the shit and which which is awesome and what you want to have out of a podcast so you guys are, you guys are killing it caller daddy who so all about balls deep <laughs> yes tell your friends I used to love call her daddy I'm not gonna lie they just got really shit um I really appreciate that Sam that means a lot and my mom also cannot tell the difference between our voices, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not able to figure it out. I was trying to listen listen in closely, and I think Rachel said your name at one point, and I was like, all right, now I know who's talking, but then like two minutes later, I was like, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, whatever, what are What do your parents think of all of this? Just because like, it, it's just mm-hmm. like very different from what a lot of, you know, a lot of people are doing our age right now. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sure that's a, a popular question on people's minds. Um, my family is so fucking supportive. I'm really lucky. Um, my dad is almost more involved than my mom. He He's a psychiatrist, but he's very into entertainment and like writing and film movies. He's also a producer. So that both of my parents are entre- entrepreneurs hard word to say that has helped me a lot in leaving my job and them kind of guiding me and how to take the proper steps to make sure that I'm just careful because like working for yourself is really difficult um and they are I think what they like not only am I you know making money but I think even though this is so taboo what I'm doing is really helping people and I really kind of I feel sometimes like I shove this stuff in my family's face too much, but I just want them to be so proud of me. And I know that what I do is kind of like, eh. So when someone sends me a comment, that's really nice. I show it to them, like how it's helping their sexuality. So they're just really proud that I'm doing tikkun olam, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're helping like, repair the world. Through orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think the, the part of your podcast that also really stood out to me was the Q&A section that you guys did towards the end. And I, I haven't listened to all of the episodes. I've just listened to one. But in the one episode, the, the two women who called in were clearly needing kind of like some assistance, like they were a little bit lost in, in what they wanted to achieve sexually. 
And you guys just had such thoughtful and well laid out responses. You, you had mentioned you're not a, a licensed therapist, but it almost feels like you, you have a, a really good sense for what can help people and you're, you're, you don't hold back at all in sharing it. So I think your listeners are definitely getting a ton out of that. Sam, I am like verklempt. These compliments are overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that mostly my my advice always ends with like see professional help. <laughs> it's like, Illegal, I'm legally, sure you probably should growing. do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that comes from growing up with a family of all therapists, and Rachel is also just really good at giving advice and we're really blunt with each other. And I think that's what people need in friends. So I will, I guess I have nothing to really respond to that, except thank you. <laughs> okay. I have, I have a question. Um, you guys okay. talked about it on your podcast and it's, it's a growing trend. Mm -hmm. Would you mind telling our viewers kind of what, what is OnlyFans? Do you think your listeners don't know what OnlyFans is? I feel like um, I will tell you. Listen, I'm just trying to make conversation, okay? Like, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> We're trying to keep this okay. shit going. <laughs> what OnlyFans is. All right, let me let me rephrase it. I want to hear what is OnlyFans from your perspective and how can the Legends podcast monetize on OnlyFans? Okay. Oh, God, no. We, I, Ari's asking that. That's not a... <laughs> that's not a <laughs> Um, okay, OnlyFans is basically Patreon, but predominantly for sex work. There are people on there who have creator pages that are just like chefs or whatever, but no one like hears about them ever. And so I had an OnlyFans. I started an OnlyFans in the beginning of the pandemic as something to do. And also because I was, my salary at my nonprofit Jewish media company was shit. And I was like, I need more money. So I will sell art online and buy art and nudes. And basically what you do is there is a subscription per month that you pay. So for me, it was like $4. And then what a lot of people do is they post on their feed just explicit shit or whatever. And you can get tipped for more stuff. You can chat with your fans and the fans can pay you just to talk to you or to buy something or like to rate their genitals or whatever. And how I did it was you had to pay to be in the, to be on my page. And then if you wanted to see anything like completely nude or like any genitals, whatever, you had to pay more for that. And that's not a popular way to do it, but that's just what I wanted to do. And it, I felt like it kind of protected me against people pirating stuff because you're paying that much money to see something like you don't really want other people to see it at least that's what I think like psychologically so that's that's pretty much the gist did I miss anything we're not only fans experts so. so so going back going back to the going back to the going back to the chefs like for example so basically they were like oh like you could pay to see a video of me like making linguine and clams or something yeah I mean think about patreon you're you're paying a monthly subscription to see exclusive content so it's just that only fans became like a good way for sex workers because the platform is available or not so much like look what's what we were just talking about with Pornhub the users can't even get paid right now because Visa and MasterCard pulled out so only fans works and maybe on Patreon like you can't show explicit stuff I don't really know how Patreon works but I actually am shutting mine down at the end of this month and moving to Patreon because I don't find it doesn't spark joy for me anymore. And so then what's different about Patreon compared to OnlyFans? It's more of like a mental thing for me. I mean, also that's um, OnlyFans is it has that preconceived notion that it is for sex work. So even mm. if you are a chef, people will be like, They'll have to explain, I have an OnlyFans, but it's not that kind of OnlyFans. And the reason I'm leaving it is because it's really emotionally taxing. People, I feel like beholden to people. People have preconceived notions about what I will be offering. And they might get upset when it's not what they think it's going to be. And they'll be like, I'm not going to pay $50 for this. Like I can get a $5 video from this other person. And I'm like, okay, why do you even have to tell me that? Just leave. Like, I don't care. You're like, um, I'm not here to negotiate or barter. Do you, do you want to see my nudes or not? Get the fuck out. 
this is a store and I didn't ask for your opinion. So on Patreon, it's also like I'm not selling my body anymore. And I think on OnlyFans, I was getting confused into what I was even doing there. Is this my orgasmic alter ego persona? Do people really just want to see the the real me? Because some people did. And I got kind of lost and just was really just such a burden. So on Patreon, I can just post whatever I want. And then I don't have to have the communication like chat stuff. That's what was like probably the worst part of it. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of creeps on the internet. So you don't want to kind of limit your exposure to that. But OnlyFans actually also had the most loyal, amazing fans ever. A lot of people subscribed to it just because they wanted a way to support me, not because they wanted to jack off. So when I posted a video that was saying that I was leaving and explaining why, the responses were just, I I screenshotted a bunch of them because they were so sweet. And they were like, we'll follow you everywhere. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, that's got to be a good feeling to know that there's like a group of people out there who you've never met that are like huge fans of yours. Like, I remember like when Ari and I posted the podcast for the first time, we saw like some people in like Nairobi, Kenya had listened and we were like so stoked about that. And like, I don't think they've tuned that in again. That is so cool. But it's just like exciting <laughs> to like know that like somebody's out there in the world who's at least listening to your shit. And like to actually get that outreach from those people, like that's got to be pretty dope. It is. It's fleeting, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like chasing likes on Instagram at the end of the day. It's like, oh, this person likes me. But I mean, you don't know them. But yeah, I mean, even so, though, at least you're I think the podcast and like you you know that you're getting this feedback from people because they're actually calling in and like there is more tangible, I think, than just like somebody paying a monthly subscription. Definitely, definitely. I like I save everything in a folder just in case I ever get really, really sad one day and I can read through them. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have any uh, projects or anything new for your podcast that's that's coming up that you'd want to share? I wouldn't say new. Well, my podcast is pretty new. There's only two episodes out. So is it, if this is like the plug section, <clears throat> I would just say keep listening to Balls Deep, rate, review, subscribe, and to the Legends podcast. But other than that, I just keep uh, doing the Taurus stuff and writing and Balls Deep. So everyone can follow me at BuffyFangirl94. So Ariel, so you have so much going on right now between your multiple accounts, kind of the podcasting, the uh, Torah uh, shtick. What do you see going forward? Like what's like, is there a goal at the current moment or are you just sort of taking it day by day and kind of roll by roll and just kind of seeing where it can take you? I don't have a five-year plan, although I would like to have one. Um, (laughs) I have a lot of ideas that I start doing and then stop because I just I got so excited about an idea and I have ADD and I and I start it and then I don't finish it like I have a shop that has clothing up there and I just never share it and I'm working on another video series with my brother and um whatever the idea is I have all these things I want to do and so right now my priority is just making balls deep the number one comedy podcast and I'm learning to take things off my plate. And then in the future, I would love to write a sketch show or like a variety show, um, write a book, maybe like open uh, a media company uh, or like a network, which my my roommate and I actually did start making that. But then when we got the balls deep job, we stopped it. So it really is just kind of taking it month by month. (laughs) And all else aside, like when you want to do something like that, more than anything, you just have to be able to produce good content, which is what you guys are doing. So I think you are well on your way. Thank you, Ari. Yeah, I think kind of closing things, what's been the biggest hurdle that you've faced like along this path that you've taken? Like, was it like feedback from people that like wasn't always positive? Like, or, and then I guess like, what did you do to overcome that obstacle to, to get where you're at now? I think the biggest hurdle has been becoming more famous and the attention that that gets. People scrutinize me a lot. Um, I have to be like super PC or that's how I felt for a time. I really, really cared what people thought and were commenting and DMing me. And one of the biggest challenges with Horgasmic, I think, was talking about um, Israel and Judaism. And if, but if I just mention Israel, it becomes this whole thing. People have called me um, a, a genocide supporter. It was something meaner than that. I don't know. And just like 
letting go of that. My brothers have been really helpful in um, helping me just shake that shit off. And like, I, I get, I would always text them like in a frenzy, like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I say? And they're like, just don't, just delete it. Just don't even respond to them. Why does it matter? They, you don't owe them anything. So letting go of just what people care about. And that's why I think in these past two years, I've gotten so confident and I'm not the same person I was in college. And that is what has helped me gain all this success. So it was like the biggest hurdle, but also what I needed to like kind of get here. And you're Instagram verified. So you've like achieved success at this point. Like that, that, I think that's our criteria for success. So you, you got that. (laughs) I feel like I cheated though, because what happened was my personal account was deleted. Someone reported it and a friend's friends saw that I was deleted and he got me back and then threw in a verification for orgasmic. So I don't feel like I earned it, but it is pretty dope. I have a friend that works at Twitter and I was like, dude, I, I, and he said he has like the like physical power to like go in and verify me. But he's just like, I can't. There's like so many strict rules. I'm like, come on, no one will ever know. And he's like, can't, sorry. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to. If you guys get written about, then you will get verified. Oh, uh, do we know anyone who writes for any sort of, you know, yeah. media <laughs> or like outlets? Who has, who has a media <laughs> outlet at their Yeah. <laughs> I'll um I'll think about you guys. Wait, you know what? You don't have, have to. You don't have to write about us. We want to earn it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It would be too easy if I did it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ariel, I don't I don't want to lose track of your great answer though about the feedback and stuff. I think that's really important for people to realize. Like when you do get that negative feedback from people who don't even know, like who the fuck cares? Like you don't know these people, and I, I think that's really strong of you to be able to shake that off. And like you clearly have a ton of confidence on the podcast, and I think that like bleeds through and and it it allows you to be more genuine and whatnot. So, I mean, congrats to you and kudos to you for being able to get to that place where you're able to, uh, to be as transparent and open as you are now. Thank you. Therapy guys twice a week. That was also a big, big thing. (laughs) All right. So everyone, they could follow you at Buffy fangirl 94, the balls deep podcast on Apple and Spotify orgasmic. That's W-H-O-R-E-Gasmic at Instagram. Look for the blue check mark. I also have, I have a page, um, OnlyFans meme, no, OnlyFans.memes. Uh, like on Instagram? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll have to check That's that out too. Well, Ariel, <laughs> yeah. thank, thank um, you so much for coming on and, and sharing what you do now. I think what you're doing is awesome. And I I really can't recommend the balls deep podcast enough. Like even if you're not a girl who is like going to directly benefit from the subject matter as a guy, like I found it thoroughly entertaining and it was really fun to listen to. So anybody who's listening to this should go check that out as well. Thank you. This was really fun. You guys are great interviewers and it was really nice catching up and um, yeah, everyone follow me and leave a fucking review for this podcast because that is the best way to help your hosts yep and if you leave a mean comment we will just ignore it because that's what we do yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay bye guys thank you guys so much thank you so much for coming on our ales yeah. bye guys bye